It's time for East Coast Hustle with your host, Reba Magulik. Brought to you by GovTech, your government technology insurance company. Check them out at govtechinsurance.com. And by Accelerate Solutions, providing enterprise security, digital transformation, and strategic consulting. Hi, I'm Reba Magulik, and welcome to this episode of East Coast Hustle. Today, we are privileged to have an especially unique guest whose hustle story is an inspiring one for all of us. We can call him the GovCon media mogul or even the comeback king, since he's come back not once, but twice to his former organizations in bigger and badder capacities to lead, transform, and catapult these firms into new echelons. In one case, after being let go from the very organization that he exponentially grew, he was brought back and anointed CEO of that same organization. In a second case, he served as president of a media company only to come back eight years later as chairman of the board. He clearly brought something special to the table. It's my pleasure to welcome Peter Goldstone, chairman of the board of GovExec, former CEO of Hanley Wood, and a Media Industry Network Hall of Famer, just to name a few things. Peter, welcome to East Coast Hustle. Thanks, thanks, Reba. It's so good to be here. It's such an honor to have you. I have so much to talk it's to you about. It's great to see you again. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's start at the top, okay? Okay. I would like you to share with our listeners the career story that led you to where you are today. We want to hear the details, and I also want to know, did you always know? that this is where you would end up? No, wow, absolutely not. <laughs> it's all by chance. So I'm old, so I've been <laughs> around a long time. And it all started when I was an educator, school teacher, for okay. five years. I don't know if you know that. I didn't know that. Yeah, so I taught school, went to college to learn how to be an educator, and taught school for five years. Came back to New York from Europe, where I was living. Okay. And decided maybe it's time to take try something else. Okay. And uh, so that's not unique. Lots of people go through lots of career changes. Right. Got into the media industry, had this kind of glorious ascension and major growth through lots of different companies. Mm -hmm. Ended up at a company called Hanley Wood down in D.C. in okay. 2000. Was recruited down from New York, where I'm from. And had a wonderful run up and some trials and tribulations throughout the, throughout the arc. I'm sure, because you make it sound so easy, like the ascension, it just happened so quickly. I mean, what is it? Because here's the thing, our audience, we're the hustle yeah. community. We yeah. have the hustle DNA. And I think especially those young budding hustlers out there want to know, it's like, what, what was it? It obviously couldn't have been as uh, beautiful of, uh, and easy of a path as others from the outside looking might see. What made you so good at what you did. That's a How did question. you ascend? Yeah, thanks for saying that. Um, it was about hustle. So I'm from New York, and I felt I was behind. Like as a, my first part of my career as a school teacher, mm -hmm. you know, I thought I was on a track to be an academician and administrator of education institutions for my career. Okay. And then took a took a pivot, took a fork in the road, ended up in media and information. Mm -hmm. I always felt I had to catch up. Why did you feel that way? Because I was five, six years behind everybody else, right? Well, so, what was your first role as you stepped so into it? My first it? role was interesting. So I worked at the Hearst Corporation, and Hearst had this amazing philosophy to hire ex-teachers hmm. 
Hmm. Be, and if you think about it, it kind of makes sense. So mm -hmm. Hearst is a big media and information magazine company back in the 80s. Okay. And we were all hired in their training program mm -hmm. to get trained up and then go out and sell advertising space, right? Mm -hmm. During the heyday of the advertising market boom in the 80s, wow. the Mad Men era. Competitive, right? I would so think. So it was very competitive. But they were kind of enlightened because they understood that teachers, at the end of the day, what do they do? They just sell concepts. They sell vapor. They sell ideas. And when you're selling they advertising, them, right? yeah, when you're selling advertising, to marketers, you're selling an aspiration. You're selling a dream. Yeah. You're selling kind of vapor, right? So it's you're not selling a widget. Um, you're selling kind of a dream, mm -hmm. right? So they had a really interesting philosophy to hire ex-teachers and put them in ad sales roles. And I think we had a training class of five people, and all five went on to become CEOs of major media companies. That's so interesting. I would never have come to that conclusion. Yeah. And I, and I mean, not to ever underestimate those in the teaching profession, but I always think of sales as a gut-punching type of job. Like, you really need to have thick skin. That's right. But, but it wasn't that you rose above the pack. All five of you did very well. Correct. That's right. Yeah, they hired really good people. Everyone went on to major careers in media. Mm -hmm. And I think it was very unique for them to understand that teachers have a way of communicating mm -hmm. and presenting ideas that worked in the classroom and also worked in front of marketers and advertising agencies. Right. Yeah. But so how did they how did they notice you? Why Peter Goldstone? Good question. What was special? Yeah. Um, I don't know, man. I think they just saw the hustle in me and the drive in me. And um, so I was lucky to be accepted to the training program, and from there we got known in New York as kind of the chosen few mm -hmm. in these training programs, and we got picked off to other companies. Oh, I'm sure yeah. you were the best of the best. That's right. But what was it like that the hustle story? Like, were you working 24 hours a day? Did you were you trying to raise a family at the same time? Like, yeah. what the heck drove you? What gave you the energy? Yeah, I think um, I think the fact that it was new. Mm -hmm. And I think the fact that I had, you know, pivoted to the business community and wanted to prove myself mm -hmm. and had this will and this drive to prove myself was one thing. Mm -hmm. I think the fact that five of us were chosen in this training program, mm -hmm. so we were kind of the chosen few. You're like the Navy SEAL Team Elite. And we needed <laughs> to step up, right, yeah. and prove ourselves and earn our position, right? So... We didn't want to let anybody down, and I think, you know, it was a very competitive field in New York, so the media industry back in those days was very competitive. And um, we had the competitive juices to really kind of thrive in that, in that arena. What, what does it take to be the best? I don't know. I think it's a lot of hard work. Um, it's, for me, it was a lot of fear of failure a Interesting. Little bit. Yeah. Interesting, yes. So we wanted to succeed, and, uh, you know, it's drive that was instilled you know, I guess through my, my, my parents mm -hmm. and through my peers mm -hmm. and then just through the environment that we signed up for. So, you know, you just got caught up in the day and you wanted to compete and you wanted to win and, and, uh, and you had to be smart about it. You had to be really intelligent about what was going on in the media world and how it was changing and how mm -hmm. it was transforming and how you can fit into it and thrive in it. Now, when we asked you, uh, when we were speaking earlier, 
You mentioned that you faced a little bit of discrimination. Um, you know, being a Jewish man in New York is mm. not a unique thing, but right. at that time, it sounds like it was a unique thing in the media business. Did you ever have anybody look down on you or judge you or try to hold you back? Yeah, I don't know if this was um, something that I felt that well, that I was being discriminated against, or it was just a personal thing where there weren't a lot of Jewish men mm -hmm. in the magazine media world in those days. Mm -hmm. And um, so I don't, I'm not sure I really felt discriminated against, but mm -hmm. I did feel like I had something to prove. You did, yeah, okay. Right, to rise above and to be seen and to be noticed. Right. And to rise above a little bit, right? And to make it in a world that there weren't a lot of folks like me right. in, right? So, yeah. There's something to that, isn't there? And that's when I say, like, you know, there's one of two ways you could have gone about that. Like, had you not had that hustle fabric, you maybe that wouldn't have been a motivating factor, but a demoting, demotivating factor. And what I compare it to is, everybody faces something, right? right? So you could compare it to being a woman in a man's world, Correct. in corporate America, trying to make it to the top. And um, yeah, I think you're onto something there. There's a little bit of that, how do I stand out? How do I get noticed? How do I prove myself? Versus let me hide behind the shadows. That's right, just feel different and yeah. you have a choice, right? Like, what are you gonna do with that information? What are you gonna do with that either opportunity or challenge? Mm -hmm. And um, and I chose to compete a little bit, so it worked out for Seems me. like you did pretty well. Did pretty well. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's shift gears here. I want to hear a little bit about you growing up. Um, you mentioned that you faced some very uh, difficult personal adversities that you believed shape who you are today. Can you give us some details? Yeah, I think so. I think my, my family is very close, and... Um, we dealt with a lot of loss in my family. So my okay. mother passed away when she was 46. Oh, my. I was in my teens. Oh, my. And then later, my younger brother passed away in his early 40s. So my dad, there were just two sons, and my so my dad faced a lot of loss in his life, right? Of course. His wife, my mom, had met when they were 13 on a train from New York to Vermont to summer camp. Are you serious? And then got married so at 18. So they were, you know, True the love soulmates. of his life. Oh my goodness, yeah. Oh. And they were in business together. She was a designer. He ran her business. And then she passed away young from cancer. So I dealt with a lot of loss personally. And, um, and that was tough. That mm -hmm. was really tough. So my dad and I became, you know, incredibly close, great friends, the best of friends. And, oh. uh, you know, had to support each other. You know, he had to become the mom and the dad at the same time, raising these two kids and did an, you know, extraordinary job. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, I grew into adulthood and became great friends with him. And then he just passed away a year ago. Oh, my. So now my mom's passed away, my brother's passed away, my father's passed away. So it's only me left from that nuclear family. So there's a lot of adversity. Gosh, that sounds very, very yeah, painful. It is. I think the beautiful th common thread there is the love. And sometimes I wonder, like, that's an interesting topic, right? Like, if you grew up, no. um, I almost wonder if it doesn't really matter. You know, d if you grew up with money or without money, privilege or no privilege, could the common thread be that if you grew up in a loving home, 
there's just something that shapes the fabric of who you are. Percent. So love is everything, right? Love is everything. And, uh, I love that. My dad had great success in his life and great failure in his life. He was like this, um, this entrepreneur that had great years and really tough times mm -hmm. and uh, had to reinvent himself a number of different times. But the constant was the love and the hope and the optimism that he had with his family and with his sons. Mm -hmm. So I think that transcends my life with my kids, I hope. I know it. <laughs> and uh, so that's really what matters. It's a legacy. It's yeah, a legacy it of love that continues. Um, so tell us the story about how you had to leave uh, Hanleywood at oh, one wow. point. Okay. Uh, how that affected you emotionally from an ego perspective, and what did it take for them to call you back? Yeah, it's a kind of a wild That's story. That's kind of a it's unique, a very unique path that I going on with my career. And so, again, not once but twice. Twice. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I say there's something very special. Right. And, there's and a we boomerang effect with my my career, but. <laughs> Um, Hanleywood was one of the top media and information companies in the country. Mm -hmm. uh, the fastest growing, the biggest uh, B2B top 10 media company in the country. Mm -hmm. Known for really ambitious growth, for transformation. But it was um, focused on one market only, and that's the construction and architecture and housing market. Okay. So from 2000 to 2006... We wrote up the housing boom, if you remember. Oh, housing yes. Housing was just incredibly hot at that time. And then the housing market busted, right, and mm -hmm. crashed. The market went down 80%. Hanleywood went down 50%. At that time, we were owned by our second round of private equity ownership. So all the equity got wiped out. Oh, my God. So it turned out that the CEO, who's one of my closest friends who recruited me down from New York, mm -hmm. was the CEO. I was the president of the company, and he had to let me go. Oh, you're kidding Because me. all the equity had been wiped out. He had been there for 30 years. He had a lot of his own capital in the business. It was appropriate for him to stay. Right. For me to go because they couldn't afford two top executives. But it was a dark day because Hanley was, was a very special, culture-rich company. Clearly. And kind of my, my second family. Right? Of course. We all grew up. We all socialized together. We traveled together. Uh, we grew it from, you know, 200 employees to 600 employees mm -hmm. in a few short years. And um, we were the kind of the poster children for really great, ambitious growth in the, in the, in the world of business information. Uh, it crashed. I left. First time in my career I got laid off. It Gosh, was that's a blow. It was a real blow. Real blow. Yeah. Uh, because I had this glorious career. Right. And uh, I always got promoted well beyond my capabilities. You were a winner. Right? Yeah. Yeah, you know, I was very lucky. And um, and then for the first time, I had to deal with the fact that I was out of a job. It was the recession. Mm. Um, I thought I would retire at Hanleywood. Right. And um, But it turned out to be the best thing to ever happen to me. That's a surprising statement. A very surprising statement. So... Luckily, a lot of people came calling, and I got this call to join government executive mm -hmm. right down the street in D.C. Okay. Which means I didn't have to relocate the family, which was right. great. Nice. And I became the president of government executive, which was um, a platform that was owned by the Atlantic Media Company. Okay. So you know the Atlantic, the yes. big consumer um, kind of poster child for digital transformation. Mm -hmm. So the good news is I went to a new market and learned lots of new skills around how media was changing and transforming. Mm -hmm. 
digital transformation and learn skills that I wouldn't have had if I had I stayed at Hanley Wood. Oh my. So it was kind of a fantastic way to build my experience and grow in lots of different ways. And mm -hmm. then ironically, another private equity firm was buying all the distressed debt okay. of Hanley Wood mm -hmm. very quietly. And they reached out to me and they understood that I had all this new experience in digital transformation. <laughs> And would I come back as the CEO of Hanley Wood a short, you know, year and a half later after I got let go? I can only imagine what was going through your mind and heart and in I'm that like, moment. This is bizarre, right? Um, redemption. Yeah, a little bit, of, <laughs> a little bit of redemption, but more about, you know, Hanley Wood was the company that I grew up in. It was my family. It yes. was my home away from home. I love the people. I love the sector. Right as I did with government executive, but I had, you know, 15 years invested. Of course, it's a different, yeah. In Hanley Wood. And they let me come back as CEO. And the ironic thing is my good friend who had to let me I go. I was ask you about him. I had to <gasps> let him go. No, are you serious? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. It was oh, Peter. Crazy, you can't write this stuff, right? They, they should make a movie out of your life. It's Wait, like, a, it's tell like us. an episode out of Mad Men. Right? <laughs> it kind of is. It really is. So I came back. And as CEO, and luckily my good friend, who I had to take his role, agreed to stay on as a senior advisor, helped me mm -hmm. become a CEO. I had never been a CEO of the company. I was always a great number two. Mm -hmm. And he became, you know, he was always a really good mentor. He stayed on and he benefited by the run-up of the company between 2012 and 2018 when mm -hmm. we ultimately sold it again. So that worked out pretty well for all of us. Mm -hmm. and uh, But at the time when I was let go, you know, I didn't know that it would turn out that way, right? Of so, course. Yeah. I keep thinking about you like in that moment because uh, I know what you mean. I mean, everybody struggles with loss. Everybody struggles right. with uh, rejection. And I'm not trying to say that it's worse, but I feel like it is worse if you are the type of person that is competitive oh, yeah. and wants to keep climbing and ascending and winning and you keep getting the gold medal after gold medal moving up that ladder so right. fast like i said it should absolutely be a story a, a movie to think about what happened with hanley wood you were never nobody was expecting the rug to be pulled out like that right. it was a real shock and then i mean truly people who ascend that in that manner uh, are not accustomed to right. being let go that's right um that's right. So in that moment to lick your wounds and kind of say, okay, I'm going to go in a different direction. Um, I want to ask you, like, like I said, I'm picturing you in that moment. Did you feel like, uh, was there like a little voice inside your heart or your, or your head that said, don't worry, it's going to be fine. Or were you actually really not, worried? Not at the time. I was okay. really worried because it was the recession, right? Right. So not a good everything situation. Everything had crashed, right? The yeah. market crashed. Nobody was investing in businesses. Um, except for the Atlantic and a government executive. So mm -hmm. it was dark, it was a dark time. Mm -hmm. And um, like, you, like you said, like you mentioned, it was the first time I really had, you know, the rug pulled out, the first time I really came down to earth. You know, mm -hmm. I, was, I was living this, you know, this amazing career. Right. And kind of floating from great <laughs> opportunity to great opportunity. Yeah as my career kind of grew and accelerated 
And then reality set in, and uh, you know, I had to go find a job. My kids were in their teens; they were mm-hmm. off to college soon. There were oh my. a lot of financial pressure, so you know, there, it was it was a dark time. But very quickly, you know, within a few months, I secured the government executive role, and that turned out just to be an incredible, um, wonderful opportunity, mm-hmm. where I got to learn a whole new business model yes. that I was able to apply for the rest of my career. Right? Yeah. So it's like you, everything happens for a reason. Would you say? I. Th- think so i i mean <laughs> you have to think so because you can't write this kind of stuff oh no and then if you fast forward to today um in 2018 we sold hanley wood for another record value wow. uh, as we ran up the company again and i decided decided to move on from hanley wood and decided to team up with some investor friends of mine mm-hmm to go back and buy government executive. Oh my gosh. So, so the Come quick, back king. So, right. <laughs> so the quick kind of elevator story um, is started at Handley Wood, left Handley Wood, went back as CEO. Mm-hmm. And when I left Handley Wood, I was president of government exec. And then after I sold Handley Wood, put an investment group together to go buy government executive. Wow. And create this incredible high growth opportunity that we're realizing today with government executive. What compelled you to do that? Um, so really interesting. So I had, when I sold Hanley Wood, I had the opportunity to go run big private equity sponsored companies again as CEO. Right. And I decided instead of grinding it out 24 seven as the CEO, mm-hmm. I decided to think about doing a portfolio of different things. Okay. So investing, sitting on boards, working in not in um, charitable organizations, sitting on boards, nonprofits. So to do a myriad of different things, and at the same time, I teamed up with good friends of mine that I've known for 20 years that had this incredible vision mm-hmm. for a new type of private equity play, okay. which is to focus on smaller, emerging, high-growth companies. Yes. Most private equity focuses on mid-market or big companies right. where they have to put a lot of capital to work. This private equity decided focus on smaller, under-optimized, mm-hmm. high-growth opportunities, and government executive fit that criteria perfectly. Interesting. So GovExec was one of three different businesses within the Atlantic Mm-hmm. They had the Atlantic National Journal and government executive. And because there were three, it never mm-hmm. got all the love. It never got all the juice or all the capital. Okay. So I knew that within this government market, this GovCon market, yes. there was a huge opportunity to take a smaller high-growth opportunity that was a digital pure play in government executive sure. and grow it explosively. And wow. that's just what we've done the last two years. We've gone from roughly 18 million to 80 million. We've gone from 80 million to uh, 80 employees to 350 employees in a year and a half. In a year and a half? In a year and a half. Peter, you had a vision. Yeah, we did. We did. And they executed perfectly. So my role right now as chairman is to work with the CEO, Tim Hartman, who's in his 40s, mm-hmm. who's never really done acquisitions before and learned how to scale the business. So we grew organically three years in a row, plus we've bolted on 13 different companies that we've acquired Mm -hmm. over the past two years. Which in itself, that's a feat to do that seamlessly, to integrate. Very complicated. Yeah. And I give them so much credit for being able to do it. Um, And they've done it extraordinarily well. And the focus has been to transform this business from a media company 
to a data and insights and, and information company. So we bought mostly data and information companies mm -hmm. in the federal government space, in the state and local government space, okay. and in the defense sector. And it's been just fantastically rewarding. Just a great creative outlet for me mm -hmm. and for everybody else and creating lots of opportunity for all the employees there and requiring lots of amazing talent okay. and lots of amazing tech-enabled product, you know, product platforms. We'll be back with more East Coast Hustle with your host, Reba Magulik, after this brief timeout. For all of my friends in the government contracting business, I want to tell you about a company I know well, led by one of our guests on East Coast Hustle, Kevin Fitzpatrick at GovTech. Kevin and his team are experts in liability issues that face the GovCon industry. Now, back to East Coast Hustle with your host, Reba Magula, and today's special guest, Peter Goldstone. What's your ultimate master plan? Are you allowed to share that, or is that? Sure. You know, we're owned by private equity, so um, what private equity does is they create lots of value okay. by infusing a lot of capital into high-growth companies and building them um, to be very uh, exciting, you know, mid-market companies like we're doing currently from a very small to a mid-market company. Mm -hmm. So when the time is right, we'll realize that value through a transaction. Interesting. Yeah. Wow. How much fun you're having. So much fun. <laughs> and having spent some time with you, you strike me as um, somebody who's very well balanced, somebody who it, maybe he's even a touch spiritual. Um, it's really interesting us to hear. So we talked about the rug being pulled out from under you. I imagine, God forbid, let's say that happened today. I imagine your sentiment would be quite different. Way different. But how would you regard that today if it were to happen, now that you've got a little bit of perspective? Yeah, it's, a, it's amazing. Well, number one, I'm in a different place in my life. So um, financially, I'm in great shape, and uh, I'm older, so I've got more experience. Mm -hmm. um, I have more faith and trust mm -hmm. in myself to kind of follow my heart to do what what's going to make me happy mm -hmm. right so um so it's a different time in my life right um but looking back if i can kind of tell that guy you know in 2011 that was experiencing um those challenges i tell that person you know just believe in yourself and uh and be true to yourself and okay. really understand what, what's going to make you happy and then understand that, you know, the 20, 30 years that you invested in your career and your life experience is all going to pay off. It, it's all going to serve you well, mm -hmm. right? So, you know, when you're going through it, you don't really understand that. Right. But looking back on it yes. now, um, that's really the way it played out. And yeah. it's typically the way it plays out with most people because everyone experiences challenges in their career. That's right. Or in their personal life, right? And, um, but it does create opportunities, right? So one door closes, another door opens, you have to be open to it. I always tell my kids, you know, life is about what you decide to do with it when it bumps into you. 
right? I like that. Yeah, it's going to bump into you. And are your eyes open or are they shut? Like, are you open to those new experiences? And how does that kind of help you create the person that you're going to be, you know, mm -hmm. in the future? So it, it, all, it all can be an opportunity, particularly here in America where there's unlimited opportunities should you, you know, should you equip yourself to, to be ready for them when life bumps into you, right? I agree. Yeah. I love that. Um, on the topic of success, what has surprised you about success? And, and if you could share the good, the bad, and the ugly. Yeah. For example, I always like to ask my guests if they have ever had to encounter envy or if their success somehow changed their relationship with uh, prior um, members of their families or, or their friend circle. Yeah. But, but beyond just the envy question, like what about success has surprised you, good or bad? Yeah, success has surprised me a lot. And, um, and what you find is that a lot of people at the top mm -hmm. are experiencing a lot of disappointment. Really? And, disappointment. And, and they're not completely fulfilled. That's surprising. Personally. Okay. And if you think about it, you know, the <sighs> phrase, it's lonely at the top is, is really a true statement. It, it can be isolating. Huh. It can be a situation where you compromise your personal life for your professional life. Mm -hmm. And you work nonstop. You're a workaholic. You work nonstop to get to the top. And then, you know, a lot of the, there's sacrifice, right? There's, mm -hmm. there's something that's lost. There's something that's compromised. So I've always been pretty good at understanding that, you know, it's not the end result. It's not the financial rewards that really matter. I mean, it's really nice to have the financial rewards, but what really matters is the journey, is the creative outlet, is the process of growing great companies, is the um, experience to work with teams of people mm -hmm. that you can establish long-term relationships with. And it's really fun, and you should have fun, building yes. these companies, right? If it's not fun, get out. Why are you doing it? Just if it's get not out, yeah. right? We'll be back with more East Coast Hustle with your host, Reba Magulik, after this brief timeout. On this show, I never promote executive leaders and companies that I don't know well. My friends and colleagues at Accelerate Solutions are truly gifted experts across the company's three service areas, enterprise security, digital transformation, and strategic consulting. Accelerate optimizes efficiency and effectiveness and enhances the security of America's physical and cyber infrastructure, as well as personnel. Agencies as large, complex, and important as the FBI depend on Accelerate. To learn more, visit AccelerateSolutions.com. That's X-C-E-L-E. R-A-T-E solutions.com. Now back to East Coast Hustle with your host, Reba Magulik, and today's special guest, Peter Goldstone. Years ago, five, six years ago, I got divorced, and I was at the top of, of the company, mm -hmm. and I was feeling a lot of isolation. Right, and, how surprising! Uh, we always think it's a party at the top. It's not a party. It's not a party at the top. I mean, it can be a party at the top, but you have to you have to find that balance, right? Yeah. But you'll find a lot of CEOs 
have a lot of issues keeping their marriages intact. Oh my! And uh, and I joined this this uh, group called Path North. Okay. Which is a professional group of CEOs now across the country. It's a small group. Mm-hmm. Um, based here in D.C. Okay. And it's about finding a little more balance and a little more fulfillment. Okay. And a little more relevance in your life beyond just business success. Mm-hmm. And so I found Path North at the time I got divorced. I found Path North at the time where, you know, um, I was transitioning from, you know, being at the top of my company to selling my company and then trying to figure out, you know, what I want to do next. Mm-hmm. Do I want to run another company? Do I want to do a portfolio of things? And I found that, you know, there was a lot of commonality between these hundred or so CEOs of extraordinarily successful mm-hmm. companies way bigger than the companies I ran, like billion-dollar companies. And they had a lot of stories about their struggles with um, lack of of fulfillment in their lives, either, you know, mostly personal. Like, what was the cost of success? And you shouldn't feel bad for us CEOs. We're (laughs) We're doing great. But you asked about... The learnings yes. of success, and I think it really is, you know, make sure that you have balance in your life, and make sure that mm-hmm. you're focused equally on, you know, what fulfills you personally as much as professionally. We had another guest on our show who expressed a very a CEO who expressed a very similar sentiment. You know, he said it took fifteen to eighteen years to build that career, but in that time, his children were gone. That's right. So I, I asked him, and I'll ask you the same thing: like, yeah. would you go back and tell yourself? Hey, buddy, just slow down. It's yeah. all going to work out. Like, you can take this at a slower pace, maybe go to more baseball games or whatever it might be. Yeah, I was, I was pretty good. Like, I'm, I'm pretty good at living in the moment, and I've done that my whole life. But, you know, as you're growing and ascending throughout mm-hmm. your career, you have to make some compromises and sacrifices, right? So there were a lot of business trips that I took where I missed, you know, kids' activities, that kind of thing. And, yeah. uh, and there was a loss. And then, you know, there was a... There was a, you know, a challenge in the marriage, right? So, right. you know, you got to focus on all these things. If you choose to sign up for all these things, you got to focus on all these things, right? But you've emerged from that. You mentioned your girlfriend. You yeah. mentioned that you're uh, in a very happy place. Um, anything you can share with us about your personal life now? It's good. <laughs> it's real good. I'm in a committed relationship with this amazing woman who... We live together. I rarely see her. That's not, that's not why it's good. But uh, she's a chef and a restaurateur, which means she's. Oh, you know, does she feed you well? Well, I eat pretty well, <laughs> so it's all good. Um, and she's like, you know, she's with, you know, she's basically in a startup company mode, right? Mm-hmm. When you're a restaurateur, you've got to like. You got to hustle. You got to hustle, and you got to <laughs> toil, and you got to give it your all to make it work. And right. I, and I support that. And uh, she's doing what she has to do. I don't see her that much. I always tell everybody I've got a long-distance relationship with a <laughs> woman I live with. A living woman. <laughs> <laughs> but it's great. Well, I imagine there's that beautiful dynamic, a portion of that you that you really respect and that resonates so with you. So much respect. Right? Yeah, I mean, this is the hardest-working person I've ever seen. Oh. She and she's great. And, you know, being a restaurateur is tough. It's yeah. really tough. And she's a chef and a uh, restaurateur and... Um, just, I give her a lot of credit. 
Oh, well, I admire her story and your story. Yeah. So I want to end with just giving you an opportunity. You spoke a little bit about GovExec, but tell us about their mission, their vision, anything that yeah. you want to share about GovExec that you would like you know, our, our audience to know. GovExec is an amazing company and mm -hmm. just a rocket ship, high growth um, company opportunity. We're lucky uh, in some ways because COVID happened mm -hmm. and I bought the business March 16th, 2020, the day everyone got sent Stop. home for COVID. On that very day. On that very How day. How fortuitous. And it, was, <laughs> and it was the same day that the Dow dropped 3,000 points. I remember that, And yes. my investors called me that morning, are you sure you want to do this? And I said, absolutely. And the reason, as you know, yeah. is that this is when government goes to work, right? You have yes. a crisis, and this is where government gets activated and exactly. government goes to work. So the information mm -hmm. that government exec creates every day, the mm -hmm. intelligence, the data, the insights, mm -hmm. and the information which helps government executives fulfill their missions yes. is more important than ever before because of what the country was experiencing through, exactly. through COVID. So the fact that government was activated, government's relevancy and importance was at a high level, mm -hmm. right? And that GovExec is a digital pure play when everybody was going home working remotely. Right. Um, it was almost a boon, probably. Yeah, we were in a very important um, position that we didn't that we took very seriously. Right. So mm -hmm. we took that opportunity to really fortify our business, invest in new technology platforms, new talent, mm -hmm. and then acquire lots of data and information companies to help government executives, federal, state, and local, and defense do their jobs better. So yeah. as you know, government's driven by mission. Yes. So our mission, as you asked, is to help them fulfill their missions with great business intelli intelligence, decision support tools that help them make great decisions to um, fulfill their missions. So it's been a wonderful experience. And you, as you know, you know, the United States government GDP is larger than the country of Brazil. Exactly. Right? So it's exactly. major, it's huge. We found that it was very fragmented. Yes. Um, local entities everywhere, right. fragmented within the federal government, but also local. That is so and true. And defense, and now it's becoming global with defense sure. as well. So there's a lot of opportunity to grow in lots of different ways here. So we're excited. We're having a ball. How amazing. Peter, thank you for coming on the show today. Even that uh, pivotal question on, I guess it was March 13th, 2020. Peter, you want to keep moving forward? And you said yes. Yeah, just keep moving forward. It's amazing. We've learned so much from you. Thank Reba, you, Peter. It's my pleasure. <laughs> so great to see you. Great to see you, too. Thank you.